Hi, and welcome to the Trailside Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by and enjoy the message. Seasons where I have been in the scriptures, I have been in the Word, and a lot of times I find, and my hope is this morning, that we can find hope and encouragement in this Bible, because in those seasons, I'm normally more graceful to my wife. I'm normally more pleasant around people, right? Like there's something in here that is powerful that, that impacts us. Um, and so what is the purpose? Um, is it fables? Is it stories? Um, is it boring? Is it encouragement? I think if anyone jumps into this book, they can, it's hard to say that it's boring, right? Like if you really dive into it, I think it really is hard. Well, you know, we seek these movies and we seek these TV series that have murder, death, betrayal, love, all this stuff. And you find that all in this book, which is pretty crazy. Um, you've got demons, you've got all kinds of things. Even there's two, two stories that I remember being in college again, grew up in the church and I never heard these stories. And so when I, I, I remember one of my professors saying one, one of them one time and I was like, no way. I gotta, I gotta fact check that dude. Um, but in Numbers 22, there is um, a story where a donkey talks to his master. And I was like, that's strange. And I had a professor, uh, I think he's still at North Greenville. Um, and he would say, um, if the Lord can use an ass, surely he can use me. And I remember like, all right, like I can get behind that. Um, there's a story in Second Kings where some teenagers disrespect Elisha and they, Aiden knows what I'm talking about. Um, and they like make fun of him because he's bald. He curses them. God sends two female bears and mauls these children. Like what? That is in scripture? And so I remember like hearing these and like, okay, that's, that's a pretty exciting book, I guess. Um, but the reality is, I think a lot of us, and I know that I'm guilty of this, is I, I take this book and it has a spot in my house and then Sunday morning I pick it back up and I bring it here or, or whatever that may, wherever you go. Um, Sunday afternoon goes back in that spot. Um, and I know that I have been guilty of that season. Um, and I think that if we dive into the words of scripture, I think we can find hope. I think we can find encouragement and it be can become more than just this book that a professional Christian, a pastor deciphers for us. Um, and so kind of that's where we're going today. And I, um, after college, I got to travel a little bit and I was in Malaysia and we were in Malaysia for about a month. Um, and my contact, I was in this region of Malaysia that was about 98% uh, Muslim. So I remember the it was the first day we were there. We were so excited. We were teaching English, doing ministry. And that night our contact had us over to his house and we went from um, the school to his house. And I remember having my Bible and notebook and a water bottle. I put the Bible down, I put the notebook on top of it and then the water bottle on top of it. And I remember him like, like in a rush to come across the room and take the notebook and the water bottle off my Bible. And he was just like, why, why would you disrespect the word of God that way? And I remember just being so embarrassed. So like, whoa, like, and, and it was this level of respect that he had for this book that like, why would you put something on top of that? And I just remember being embarrassed, but so challenged by that. Um, so all that to say, where we're going this morning, culturally, 
how do we view the Bible, where did it come from, and what does it mean for us tomorrow? Um, so I think Dusty created a few slides. Barna did a study, a six-year study, on how the Bible engages um, America, basically. And so there is some, they basically created a bunch of statistics, and I'm going to go through them pretty quickly. Um, but Bible-minded cities in America, you could probably name them, you could probably guess them, Chattanooga, Birmingham, Charlotte, Knoxville, you're sitting in one, Greenville, South Carolina, one of the more Bible-minded cities um, in America. You can imagine the ones that were the bottom of the least Bible-minded. Um, there's a list with those as well. Um, we'll not get into that. But anyways, um, America, Americans who believe the Bible is sufficient for meaningful living. Elders, about 65%. Baby boomers, 56%. Gen X, 40 Millennial, millennia, Millennials drop down to 27%. So 27% of millennials don't view the Bible as meaningful um, for living. What I found interesting, though, is millennials are most likely to engage in spiritual conversations. So uh, I think the next slide might show this, but 27% of non-Christian millennials believe that the Bible is a dangerous book of religious dogma. Um, so they, don't, they won't even go near it, yet there is this curiosity, there is this interest in spiritual conversations, whatever that may be. I thought that was really interesting where it's talked about like elders being pretty like, no, there's no need to have sp spiritual conversations. I'm in my lane, I'm staying there. Um, but non-Christian non millennials describe the Bible as story, mytho uh, mythology, symbolic fairy tale. Um, I thought this was interesting. It was actually a little higher than what I expected. A third of, of Americans read the Bible at least once a week, um, which I honestly I thought was higher. Um, again, in that, the percentage is 49% amongst elders, and the lowest is 24% uh, with millennials. Um, so we see there's this growing skepticism of this book, right? There's this growing um, doubt about this book. How can we c combat that, I guess? Um, how can we talk about that? And I think part of that is knowing where this book come from, comes from. But a quote that came at the end of that study was, in a, so in a society that venerates, which I had to look up, was regards with regard with great respect. So in a society that venerates science and rationalism, it is in an increasingly hard pill to swallow that an eclectic assortment of ancient stories, poems, sermons, prophecies, and letters written and compiled over the course of 3,000 years is somehow this sacred word of God. Um, it's kind of a, a summary of where the, the study ended up. Um, so you have this book written 3,000 years ago, compiled how, if we are holding science and rationalism as the peak in our society or knowledge or whatever, this can be a tough pill to swallow is basically what it's saying. Um, so I, I believe that a lot of times with this doubt, with this skepticism, comes just a lack of knowing where the book comes from. Um, so again, this might be a boring part of the sermon for you. I'm not sure. Lean in with me. Um, but, and you might, 
have, you might know where we got this canon, where we got the scriptures. Um, but basically, the biblical canon, which is the books that Christians accept as authoritative, um, where did we get it? So a professor out of Southern kind of came up with these two questions of how to approach this book. Um, and basically is, um, is this book uh, an authorized collection of writings, uh, meaning was it given authority by an outside source? Or um, is this collection of is it a collection of authoritative writings? Um, and I think that the distinction there is really important. Of like, did an outside source say like, all right, here is the books of the Bible. Here's the canon. We're going to give it authority. Or do we believe that when it was penned, as it was being penned, that it has this inherent authority? a part of it, ascribed to it, in, like, within it. Um, and so I think that's a, a question we need to ask. I, I think I lean towards the latter um, of that as it was penned by God through man, through the Holy Spirit, pinning these writings, um, that it has an inherent authority as a part of it. Um, so real quick, let me just kind of roll through this. For our sake, um, Protestant the canon. 39 books in the Old Testament. It's broken into Pentateuch, historical, um, wisdom literatures, major and minor prophets. Uh, then we get to the New Testament, gospel, Acts, Paul's epistles, general epistles, revelations. Um, and for the most part, uh, the Old Testament kind of is, is locked in um, because Peter, or Peter and Paul and Jesus all kind of point back to it in the New Testament. Like, all right, here are the scriptures. They, they, they give it authority um, of like what was written beforehand. The early church, it's a, it's a little tougher because you're, you're like, okay, how from the time of Jesus through Paul, Peter, and the apostles, how do we get the 27 books of our New Testament? And so a lot of it was the early church was under persecution and they would have these books. And so say that we were a church in, um, in the first century, it would have been under secret, right? It would have been in a home. It would have been, we would only had one letter of the New Testament, right? It wouldn't have been called the New Testament at the point. It would just have been a letter by an apostle. Um, and those letters would have been passed around from ch house church to house church. Um, and there was a community in that. There was a, when these other literatures in, in the same time were written, tried to get in, tried to have authority within the, the canon, they were kind of pushed aside. They were like, no, this isn't like, this isn't what we've heard. This isn't a part of our, our community. So all that to say, early church, um, yes. Um, in 300 AD, we kind of have this shift where Christianity is not a, um, it's not illegal anymore. It's legal. It's kind of a, a, a what, what word am I looking for? Um, basically be, becomes a state religion. Um, and so then we see the first time that the New Testament is compiled into 27 um, books is a letter uh, by a Athanasius. Um, that's not really as, that important if you don't care about that, but it, it's just the first time that it was written. It's called his Easter letter. Um, and then ultimately, I think we see this, that if you wonder about the New Testament, the authenticity of it, you see that oh, hundreds of prophecies from the Old Testament were fulfilled in the New Testament by Jesus, and then more prophecies to come to be fulfilled. Um, 
But all that to say, in the late 300s, the Council of Carthage, um, it kind of again becomes, all right, this 27 books, um, we're going to have a council about it. We're going to say that these are authoritative. The Council of Trent um, is interesting. We're going to fast forward a little bit. So you have the Reformation. You have Luther who kind of takes the Apocrypha books, which we'll mention in a minute, kind of puts them on the end. He's not sure kind of what to do with them. Um, and a reaction to the Reformation, you have the Council of Trent, which is basically a, the Catholic Church approving the Apocrypha as Scripture, as part of their canon. Um, there's some issues with that. Uh, we also see in the, uh, in the Council of Trent the Vulgate, which is Jerome basically writes uh, the Latin Vulgate, um, which becomes kind of like, it becomes a big deal in that time. Um, really quick hit on the Apocrypha. Um, it becomes a part of the Catholic scriptures. Um, there is some kind of issues with that, uh, that as pr Protestants we believe um, that it wasn't written by a prophet or apostle. There's some historical and geographical errors in it. Um, yes. Um, and ultimately uh, it, it can be helpful. It can be good. I think it, it, it helps us explain the time from the end of the Old Testament to the, those 400 years until the New Testament. Um, and then in the late, uh, I don't know when it was, um, I think the late 80s, um, we get this Chicago statement of biblical inerrancy. Um, and that's basically, they saw that culture was kind of coming towards a, a skeptical view of scripture. I'm going to keep talking and walking over to this air thing, because it feels warm. <laughs> Who knows? Anyways. Um, Back at it. Um, so they thought that they, they saw this trend that uh, society was kind of viewing scripture as uh, kind of a skeptical view of them. So they came up with these 39 articles of like, okay, what is scripture? I'm not going to go through those today. I would, if you're interested in them, look them up. They're, they're actually pretty incredible. Um, but one of the summaries from it, God, who is himself truth and speaks truth only, has inspired Holy Scripture in, in order thereby to reveal himself to lost mankind through Jesus Christ as creator and Lord, redeemer and judge. Holy Scripture is God's witness to himself. So all that, you might have been like, ah, oh, I did not need to know all that information this morning. At the end of the day, hopefully we can rally around this idea that the Scripture is the inspired Word of God um, through man, has been affirmed by Scripture, and it has been affirmed through history. It is authoritative by nature. Um, it is supernatural. It's divine. I think there's a mystery in it, right? Like, there's still this crazy, like, how, how does God use a man to write the Scriptures and that we call them sacred today? There's mystery in it. Um, but what, is, what does that all mean for us today? Why do we... Why do we care about all that? Why, why did I take 15 minutes of your, of your life and say like, all right, here's where we get the Bible. Here's what culture thinks about it. And I was really moved by this quote. Um, it says, inerrancy is not the most critical issue facing the church today. The most serious issue, I believe, is the Bible's sufficiency. So that rocked me of this idea of like, I think sometimes we immediately want to argue like, oh, there's like errors in it and there's this and that. And it was written so many years ago. Um, maybe not. We, we don't necessarily want to argue that, but people want to argue that. Um, but I don't think that's the core issue. I think the core issue, even in the church, is, is it enough? Tomorrow when you wake up, is scripture enough? 
You might be going through a hard time right now. You might be, have just lost your job, just lost a friend, a family. Whatever, whatever you're going through, is the Bible enough? I think that's the biggest issue in the church today. Do we believe the words that it says? Um, and so... What does this book of over 40 different authors, which is pretty incredible if you really think about it, um, everything from a tax collector, a shepherd, a priest, a king, a warrior, all these different authors throughout scripture um, in three different languages and was written over a span of like 1,500 years. What does that tell us? And why are we talking about it this morning? And ultimately, I'm it tells us the greatest love story of all time. The most redemptive story that we can hear, it's in this book. Um, and so just a summary to give you a, this, I'm like, it's sad how much I'm dumbing this down. Um, but I think a lot of times we can get caught up in, oh, I need to read this chapter. And then I, it, I separate it from this book and I separate it from this. Like, can we come to scripture and, and realize that it is all in this bigger story, this bigger plan. And so in a brief summary, you have the creation story in Genesis. Within the Old Testament, you have the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, and you have the creation story. And then within the first three chapters, this book kind of flips upside down, and not where I thought it was going. Like, oh, creation, everyone's happy in the garden. We're with God. It's wonderful. It's cool, and we're walking with him. And then... Boom, sin, fall, we mess up, we're cast out of the garden. What now, right? Like it, 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 it leaves you on this, what now? He ultimately chooses a, a people um, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There is a chosen nation. There's a promise of a, a promised land that they will inherit, that they will take on. They're in the wilderness for 40 years because of disobedience. He said a generation will die before you take the promised land. Um, you get into the promised land, there's a united Israel, um, there's judges and kings, there's divided Israel, they're in exile because of disobedience, um, and then, oh, and then you, you have the end of the Old Testament, and there's about 400 or so years, and Jesus steps in the scene, you have the Gospels. Um, and you have this beautiful story, especially these four books that just talk about this man's life and his story and why he came and why he's here. Um, and then you have Jesus. He, he dies on a cross for us. He takes our sin. He raises on the third day. And then he empowers the people. He empowers the church that says, you will do greater things than I. I've given you a helper. And ultimately, he gives us the word of God as a part of that to know him, to understand him. And the church is sent out. And that's where we are today. And there's hope. And the beauty of this is the prophecies that are still to come of a new creation, a new church to be in a feast with Jesus, right? Like that, that is the hope that he comes back, he takes his bride, and we have this amazing feast together um, as those who believe in him. It's all centered around God. It's all centered around the cross. It's all centered around that Jesus is the lead story. So if he's the lead story, and if we're calling this important, and if we're leaning in and saying like, and we've, we've discovered our sin, and we've discovered that we are far from him, that we were, we were the ones banished out of the garden, and Jesus comes as, as an Adam type and saves us as perfect, 
And if we can discover that and know that, then why would we not want to dive into this day in and day out to know our creator, the one who spoke things into being, the one who holds all things together? Why would we not want to know that guy? Um, and so if Jesus is the lead story in our life, um, let's lean in and learn about him. And the best way to learn about him is this crazy, pretty long story of how he redeems the world back to himself, as he redeems his people back to himself. In 2 Timothy 3.16, I just have it on the sheet. Um, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Um, My pastor in college used to say something and it rocked me, but it was this idea of would your life be any different if the Holy Spirit was not here this week? The Holy Spirit just left Greenville this week. Would your life be any different? I started thinking about that as within this message and it it just kind of clicked with me of like, would our lives be any different if we didn't have access to this book? Like, and that was such a convicting question for me. Um, that if I did not have access, would my life be the same this week? And the sad reality in my life was like, I've gone through weeks that are like that. Like, I set this Bible on a, on a table. I picked it back up on Sunday. Nothing changed through that week. Um, and so I just thought, I was like, man, that's a, that's a really challenging qu- question for me. Um, Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Um, this morning, even in our volunteer huddle. There's these prayer requests of, um, there's just so much hurt out there. You watch the news, there's so much hurt. Um, but it becomes really personal, it becomes really real when you, you're sitting around people you're doing life with and they're hurting. They're with their doctor and they can't figure out certain, you know, what's wrong. Um, you have people in your high school losing their lives and there's hurt in that, and there's pain, and there's mourning, and there's lament. Where do we go in those moments? Um, and I love at the end of this, uh, there's encouragement of the scriptures that we may have hope. Hope in what? Hope in abundant life. Hope in Jesus. Because um, I, I promise you, if you try to do these things, if you try to lament by yourself, if you try to do your own way, it will not work out for you. Um, in Peter, Second uh, Peter, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the impulse of man, but man moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so, you, again, you have this mystery in Second Peter saying, like, I, God has authored this book, um, and it's beautiful. Um, do we view this scripture as sweet as honey? Man, if you read through the Psalms, even what I started with, Psalms 119, read through that chapter this week and see the beauty of what this book is. Uh, it describes it as, when we read it, do we read it as though it is sweet as honey on our lips? Um, it talks about um, 
that it revives our soul. Um, Someone described worship two weeks ago uh, in this building as like, man, it was just, it just revived my soul. Um, a pastor who just had not been in this kind of, he kind of was burnt, burnt by the church um, and something about worship, something about the, the body, the Holy Spirit, and arguably the scriptures um, revived his soul. Um, I love that. Um, in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thought, thoughts and attitude of our heart. What a, what a beautiful verse. Um, do we believe it? Is that meaningful to us? Um, and kind of in closing, um, you see Jesus, and right after he's baptized in Matthew... He is, uh, he goes, uh, the spirit leads him off into the wilderness and um, he's tempted three times by Satan. Um, and it, the, I'm not going to get really into this, but I just think at a basic level, the reality is that how does he combat those temptations? He combats those temptations with scripture. Um, and on the first one, he says, and I love this, um, and this is in Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Um, man, like, do, do we believe that? Um, that we're, yes, we need nutrients this week. We need to have meals this week. But do we believe that, like, before we even have our meal, before we even start our day, what does it look like to jump into this book? And I'm not, I'm not saying you have to know this whole thing. Absolutely not. None of us do. <laughs> um, but what does it look like to take a phrase, take a sentence, take a chapter, whatever it may be, and just run with that for the next month? Right? Like, take that one and apply it. Think about it daily. Uh, we talk a lot about that in community, in college community group of, like, all right, we read it. Sweet. We don't want to be a people that it just is words on, a, on, a, on paper, right? We want to be a church. We want to be a community that it changes our lives um, and it changes how we wake up tomorrow. Um, Martin Luther uh, had this quote, and I loved it. We, mu we must make a great difference between God's word and the word of man. A man's word is a little sound that flies into the air and soon vanishes. But the word of God is greater than heaven and earth. Yes, greater than death and hell. For it forms part of the power of God and endures, endures everlasting. And I think we've, we see that, right? Like the fact that it's 2019 and this is in front of us. Um, says a lot about its authority. Um, if you look at, you even think about one of the first um, things printed in mass print was about the Gutenberg Bible, right? Um, it, it helped us get the Bible to a lot more people. Um, but I love that quote of that. We have to distinct in our own lives the difference between man's voice and the scriptures and God's voice. Um, Ultimately, Scripture is enough. There's enough for salvation. It's enough for sanctification. It's enough to understand and know and lean into abundant life. Um, it can give us hope. Uh, it can guide us when we're 
so lost in the dark. Um, can we view this as a, as a light that, is, that might even feel far off to you today? Um, thank you. That's great. Um, it can be a book of wisdom to give us wisdom, to lean in, read the Psalms, read the beauty of the poetry in them, and ultimately just read it as this beautiful narrative story. My challenge today, um, a third of Americans read scriptures at least once a week. My challenge is to read it twice. <laughs> um, you might be in that third. Um, and the challenge is simple. And again, it's not one of, if it feels like an obligation that you must, like pray through that while you're reading. Like, Lord, no, like let me find the joy in this book. Um, if, it, if you're in a season where you just feel like you don't have enough time, Get an app and listen to it on the way to work. Like, there's, there's ways to, to be in this word, and I'm not saying that you have to have this 30-minute kind of box time of like, oh, I have to be in this scripture, da-da-da, it has to be memorized, da-da-da-da. Like, no, it can be as simple as reading one verse and just pondering on that verse. Um, Read through the Psalms. So just read it twice a week. If you are already reading it twice, read three. If you're reading three, read four. Um, but just know that there is hope and encouragement um, in this book and that it is the word of God. Um, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for today. We are just so thankful to be in this place, to be able to, even though it's hot, um, to able to open the scriptures in worship this morning. Um, Lord, convict our hearts. Um, let us be more like you, Lord. Let us lean into the word, your words, your scriptures, Lord, to know you better, to understand you better. Um, Lord, may we challenge one another in it. May we keep one another accountable. Um, but Lord, give us just this deep, deep desire um, to know you better. And how do we do that? By leaning into your scriptures, leaning into your words, Lord. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for this redemptive story. Lord, that it all accumulate, that it all climaxes at the cross and what you did there for us, taking our sins and our shame, Lord. You're so, so good to us, Lord. We love you because you first loved us. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and you feel closer to Christ than you ever have before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person, or help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified, check us out online at trailside.church, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you again soon.